Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and today we're going to be discussing silence, the importance of it, and how we can reconnect with it and discover that quiet place of peace and joy that lies beyond our inner chatter. I'm delighted to welcome Sarah Anderson, author of the book we'll be discussing today, The Lost Art of Silence, Reconnecting to the Power and Beauty of Quiet. Sarah is a writer, painter, and the founder of the Travel Bookshop in London, which was featured in the film Notting Hill. Sarah studied Chinese at the London University College of SOAS and at Haythrop, where she earned a master's in the psychology of religion. She lives in London and enjoys finding pockets of quiet amid the noise of the bustling city. You can find out more about Sarah's bookshop, her writing, and see her art at her website, umbrellabooks.com. Again, umbrellabooks.com. You can also follow her on Instagram at Sarah Anderson 1150, that's 1150, where she posts her art. Again, Sarah is joining us today from London. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Sarah Anderson. I'm delighted you could be with us today on the show. Would you like to say hello? Yeah. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, I'm looking forward to talking and uh, we'll see where it goes. Thank you. Perfect. So before we begin our dialogue about reconnecting with silence, let's start with a moment of contemplation, a moment of turning inward, a moment of just being present right here and right now. So let's begin by turning our attention to our body, just feeling our body in space, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or standing, walking, driving, just feeling our body. And then turning our attention to the surfaces that support our weight, feeling our feet, perhaps they're on the floor or crossed in our lap feeling how our weight is supported by whatever we're sitting on, if we're sitting, or feeling our feet on the ground if we're walking. And then turning our attention to the breath, just noticing as we take a fully conscious breath, the next inhale and exhale. On the next inhale, feeling the coolness of the air as it enters the nostrils. And on the exhale, feeling how that temperature is now warmer. And just staying with that, staying with feeling the breath. Here's something to contemplate. A quote from Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, 
the founder and spiritual director of this program. This is from a booklet that she wrote about creating a day of silence. Through the doorway of silence, we gain access to the higher wisdom of the divine self and the inner resources to live a truly fulfilling life. The divine radio is always singing if we could only make ourselves ready to listen to it, but it is impossible to listen without silence. It is impossible to listen without silence. Once again, Sarah Anderson, welcome to the Yoga Hour. I'm really pleased that you could join me today on the Yoga Hour to discuss your book, The Lost Art of Silence, Reconnecting to the Power and Beauty of Quiet. In the spiritual teachings of yoga, meditation is a key component of our practice, and the reason for that is exactly what you point to in the subtitle, Reconnecting to the Power that is in the silence. So I wanted to start with asking you, why did you write this book at this time? Well, I think we'd all agree that the world that we live in gets noisier and noisier, and it becomes increasingly difficult, or people think it becomes increasingly difficult to find silent spaces. And I wanted to try and tell people or that actually silent spaces are there mm -hmm. to be discovered through ways that perhaps people hadn't thought about. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are the classic ways as meditation, um, mindfulness, going out into nature and sitting in by oneself, but I think we'll come on to other ways that I've discovered in the, and which I write about in the book. Yeah. There are many things that I've enjoyed about the book, but one of them was reading about um, how people, um, certain uh, people in London, even in the 1800s, were so upset, you know, by, by the noise. And was it Thomas Carlyle who tried to build a silent room, unsuccessfully, but tried to build a silent room in his yeah. house. But you describe all of the noise at this pleasure park that was outside. It was quite remarkable, actually, of all of the noise. Yeah. So it's, although it is, I agree with you, it's totally increasing, but it it was interesting to me that it's not a new problem. <laughs> that exactly. Uh, that's certainly true. Interestingly, the Thomas Carlyle lived literally, I should think, 10 minutes walk from where I now live. Wow. And there's a statue of him. It's now, um, obviously, the Pleasure Garden has long gone. But um, it's a very busy road, the embankment, which goes along by the side of the Thames. Yeah. And there's a statue of him there. Yeah. No, I, I enjoyed your description of this because I didn't really understand what a Pleasure Garden was. But you describe even like reenactment of naval battle and cannons <laughs> are going off and fire fireworks and all of this. So I can understand how someone who, you know, had for whom that was a relatively new, um, you know, addition to life, you know, having all of that noise would crave would crave quiet. 
Let's see. So in talking about that, you ask, why do we crave silence? So what are your thoughts about why we crave silence? Well, I, I think that, well, perhaps we crave silence because I think we realize, whether we know it or not, that silence is necessary for creativity. How can you be truly creative if you've got other people's noise coming at you all the time. So I think you need to step back. And I think perhaps innately, we understand that, which is why we we crave it. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps we can't necessarily put it into words. But I think perhaps a lot of people, once they have experienced silent times, understand what what's missing in their lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is, um, I mean, it, I found your contemplations about silence to be interesting. So you point out it's a different sense because it comes to us, like we can't see behind ourselves, but we can hear from all directions. So you write about the benefits of silence. So would you talk about that a little bit? Besides, yeah, I, I, you already mentioned the creativity, you know, that it, that in order to be, you know, to tap into that creative well, we need to access that inner silence. You write about much more, though. So would you say a bit more about that? Yes, I think I think um, attention improves with silence. And I also think that it's very beneficial for other people, because I think if we are silent, we listen much better. Now, that can be to our own advantage, obviously, if you're you want to learn something. But I think also if you are listening to somebody who's talking to you intently, if you do it in silence, it's they get a much better feel. They feel that they've really been listened to. And I think that that is uh, uh, one of the, the benefits, certainly. Um, I mean, the more you think about it, or the more I could have gone on researching this book indefinitely. Right. Um, I had to actually at some point, obviously, draw a veil. <laughs> yeah. No, a- absolutely. And uh, you're also a painter. And I know that's also a temptation in painting, right? It's like, when is the painting really done? <laughs> yes. When is the book really done? I know. I know. Yeah. No, it, it seemed as though you've been actually working on this idea for for years because you talk about, you know, some of the experiences that you've had as you've tried to seek out some of these, you know, experiences of silence. Um, yes. This is, I think, a, a wonderful time as we had, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, we had into winter. Wonderful time to talk about silence, although it's also contrasted with our external uh, preparations for the holiday season for many people involving Christmas, involving presents, and Hanukkah involving presents. Yes, so yes, yes. <laughs> I really liked your quote from the Greek philosopher Socrates, who said, the secret of happiness is not to be found in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less which is kind of the contrary message to this particular time, which is so, which is so, you know, busy. And we're in Western culture, we're really encouraged to seek more. We're bombarded by advertising, uh, telling us that we need this and we need that and these things that will make us happy. Um, So would you comment about that, about, um, you know, this kind of these messages that, you know, come about seeking more and how in a way silence is, is seeking less in a way? Yeah, I think, I think um, 
Well, as you've just said, that today's world that we live in, that just everything around us is encouraging us for more, more, more. And we have to compete with our peers and it's something that somebody's got. There's a terrible fear of missing out. If my neighbor's got X, I need Y and I need the same thing. And it's just you need to draw back from all of this and realize that actually happiness does not come because of more and more possessions. Um, I mean, I think we can look to other traditions, uh, certainly the Hindu tradition in the, do they, I can't remember, do they call it the third age when you get old and you right. get rid of all your possessions, I think. Yeah, third uh, stage, third stage of life, fourth stage of life. Yeah. 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 I mean, I certainly haven't got there. You you can't <laughs> see where I live, but luckily. <laughs> but, uh, um, and of course, social media, the dreaded social media, it's all about consumerism. I, I went to a shop yesterday, a shop close to, I mean, a, a quite big shop near where I live, and they had all these Christmas songs on a loop. And if I'd been a member of staff, I think I would have gone completely mad. I mean, it's just continuous round and round and round and you can't cut off from it um anyway yes as i say more and more it'll never satisfy you right no you know exactly um and but you talk also in an interesting way about silence that it's not just an absence. I mean, it is, you know, quiet is an absence of sound, but there's also a presence, um, which we'll get into a little bit more when we talk about how we can access silence in certain places and, um, and works of art and music. But just for a start, can you talk a little bit more about that feeling of presence um, that's in the quiet? Yeah, I just would like to go back to something that we talked, we glanced on earlier on, which I had never even thought about before. The fact that you can, if you don't want to see something, you can shut your eyes. But if you don't want to hear something, you can't shut your ears. And I'd never thought of that yeah. until I read it in um, Robert McFarlane's book, I think, Underland. And it's very interesting. Um, so sorry, back to your current question. It was, um, what what did you ask? Sorry. Uh, oh, the presence, oh, you the know, presence this, this feeling of yes. not, not just an yes. absence, you yeah. know, of something, of yeah. silence, but there's also um, something tangible. Tangible um, about it, exactly. Yes. Yeah. And obviously, it's a, very, it's a very difficult state to actually describe. And different people can describe the feelings that they have when they are silent. But I, I think it's it's if you if you if you talk about it in purely negative terms i think it's much better to say it is something so mm-hmm. as you were saying it is a presence and there is some quote i think i can't remember who i quoted but um about that um anyway it's um yeah so okay yeah that's okay um so you also look at the negative aspects of of silence in some ways. And um, in one chapter, you speak about your own lived experiences um, of this toxic side of silence. And I thought this is useful for us to talk about today as we talk about silence in general. Um, you 
share in the book that you lost your arm to cancer when you were 10 and you really didn't want to talk about it at all until you were in your late teens to the extent that you didn't even really ask your parents about what happened to your arm um, for perhaps even up to, you know, 10 years. Um, so would you say, say more about this kind of um, avoidance that can come from silence. Um, it also, we also see it in, um, you know, a, a toxic silence in a family who might have lost a child who won't speak about it as if somehow, you know, that silence will, you know, make it go away. Make yeah. it go away. Exactly. Would you yeah. say more about that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it is true. Uh, maybe it's because I'm English. I mean, I think if I'd been an American, <laughs> things would have been different but right. for the whole seven or eight years that I was at boarding school after I lost my arm no one literally no one asked me what had happened and as far as I was concerned actually it was a good thing so I can't really say that that silence was negative because for me it since it wasn't talked about it didn't happen yes or I thought it didn't happen and it was only when I went to America when I was in my early 20s for the first time, uh, people quite naturally said to me, hey, what's happened to your arm? And actually, it was a huge relief. Mm. I think part of it might have been the fact that I didn't want to become the center of attention somehow. And if I was talking about myself and my arm, I would have done. So, I mean, I, so that was my own experience. But I think when people have had a tragedy and people walk literally cross the road so that they won't have to address this person, that is toxic silence. Mm -hmm. And I think that people suffer. I remember I had a friend who lost his daughter in tragic circumstances, and I rang him very soon afterwards. And I think I probably sounded like a madwoman. I just babbled on and on and on. I didn't know what to say. Right. Um, but... I think the fact, he probably wouldn't remember what I'd said, but he would remember the fact that I'd rung. And that was what was important. I mean, that's diverging a bit from silence. But I, I think silence in those instances is is not a good thing. Just yeah. say something. Listen. That's the point. Just mm -hmm. listen. Right. And by listening, we give our, our presence. And I was thinking about that, about how so oftentimes when people listen, they're not really listening. They're planning what they're going to say as soon as the other person stops talking. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah. it's actually a lovely practice to see if you can let go of that and really, yeah. truly just listen. Yeah. Mindfulness practice, spiritual practice, but also potentially a silence, you know, practice of silencing your own inner dialogue and allowing yeah. yourself to exactly. be present. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So in the book, you describe many experiences that you have had seeking silence. As you were doing research for this book, you went to silent retreats, you went to a workshop for craniosacral therapists where the work was done in silence, and many other, many other um, experiences as you thought about this deeply, it sounds like over over the last few years. One question that came out of this is why do we find silence so difficult? Oh, yes, and, well. and I know as a as someone who teaches meditation, that's one of the most difficult things students deal with, just facing this time in silence. 
for example, taking, we encourage people to take 20 minutes a day to meditate, but people find it, especially at the beginning, very difficult and yeah. something that is natural to kind of try and avoid. So what are some of the answers that you have found of why we find silence so difficult? Yeah, I, I guess I'm not sure that I can answer that, but I think possibly there's a, a fear of missing out in some on some level that by being silent, you're, yeah, you're missing out. Somebody's just sent you something on whatever social media and you're, you're not going to be the first per- person to respond. Um, and it's, it's noise is a distraction. And of course, silence does make one face oneself. Mm-hmm. I think that is frightening yes. for a lot of people. Right. So I think that that's an element of it as well. That's why we find it difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, I think those are the possibly the, the fear of missing out and the confront, self-confrontation are the two elements, I would say, that are, yeah. are frightening. Yeah, certainly. I, you know, I've experienced that as well, is a lot of times all of our activity is driven by this frantic <laughs> need not to rest, not to experience that silence, because there is something about it you know, facing ourselves, that is that can be that can be challenging. Yeah. As a reminder to our listeners today, my guest on the yoga hour is Sarah Anderson, who is the author of the book we're discussing today, The Lost Art of Silence, reconnecting to the power and beauty of quiet. You can find out more about Sarah, her writing and her bookshop in London at her website, Umbrella Books dot com umbrellabooks.com also is a link there to some of her beautiful artwork this link will be on our website theyogahour.com we welcome your comments and questions you can contact us via that website theyogahour.com where you can sign up for our mailing list to receive our monthly newsletter which includes highlights of prior episodes of the yoga hour teachings about kriya yoga and describes upcoming episodes as well. So we invite you to join us. So Sarah, we have been speaking about the importance of silence. And now I'd like to turn to some of the ways that we can find silence, even in the midst of our busy, noisy lives. Um, One of the things that that comes to mind when people think about silence perhaps is um, being out in nature somewhere. And oftentimes that involves a distance from where we live because we're trying to get to a place that is more quiet than, you know, than uh, where we currently are, uh, which is lovely. Being able to go far out into a forest or to a remote beach or hike up a mountain, but it's not always accessible. For some people, it happens rarely. Some people never, depending on their circumstances. Um, so, um but you you have some ideas uh, because you do this in London, which is a which is a you know busy um, you know busy place. So, and in, in fact, I think you even talk about you know the uh, park that's near you, a very large park, and how even in the city you can find a- areas of quiet there. So, yeah. would you say more about that? Yeah, well, that, that you I live. I'm very lucky to live opposite Battersea Park, which is a lovely park. Um, which is on just south of the Thames. And I literally live opposite the gate. So mm-hmm. I, I'm extremely lucky. I mean, particularly actually during the pandemic, 
when we were allowed out for <laughs> allowed out for an hour a day, um, I was able to go for walks in the park. So that was that was lovely. And um, however many people there are in the park, you can always find a quiet space. Another um, uh, group of uh, well, uh, cemeteries actually are um, good places for reflection and for quietness. Um, so that's something perhaps people don't think about. And actually, well, churches and other um, places of worship are often totally empty and just to go in and sit mm-hmm. in silence. Mm-hmm. Most churches or many of the churches in London are, are open. Some are locked, unfortunately, but most are open. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just three. I mean, those are the spaces that I would that are available to most people. Mm-hmm. I also, yeah. as you know, write about other ways of finding silence by looking at. Uh, I don't know whether we want to talk about this yet or now. Paintings. Um, sure. Let me just um, stop you there for a moment, though, because I did want to mention this thing about about churches. I was thinking about this as I was reading your book because um, I went on a river cruise. Um, from uh, Amsterdam to Budapest earlier this year. So we went, that involved stopping in a lot of places that had churches and going into these churches that were hundreds, in some cases, thousand years old. Um, And there's something about being inside of a church um, uh, that, or a temple, um, where there has been quiet contemplation. There is, again, a tangible presence I think that is perhaps makes it makes it easier to tap into. No, so- I agree. Yeah, I write about that actually. That that whole connection with the past and the link that you can feel when you're in a a church or something that that particular place. And I went. One of the things I did for writing the book was go to a Quaker meeting house, and it was the oldest in in Greater London, just by chance not far from where I live. And it was the feeling that for three 300 years, I think, mm-hmm. that building had just been full of quiet people mm-hmm. and quietness. It was just magical, actually. It was a wonderful feeling. Mm-hmm. So you're quite right. Yeah. And before we move on to, I, I do want to talk about the art and the music, but um, you talk about Antarctica, you know, too, and yeah. this magical thing that happened, you know, where... Of course, you say that it is noisy there as well, um, you know, at times when machines are, you know, running or whatever. Um, but then that stopped and it began to snow. It was magical. It was a sort of the trigger possibly for the book. Yeah. So I was lucky enough to go to Antarctica. It was in 2005. And we were on this Russian icebreaker and we'd get off and get into these zodiacs and zoom in and out of the icebergs. Well, that was exciting enough. But then the guy turned the engine off. Mm. So it was quiet. And then it began to snow. Mm. And it was totally magical. It was totally quiet, totally silent. And I think, you know, I've been trying to recapture that feeling mm. ever since. Really. Mm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. very special. Yeah. 
bringing mindfulness to those, you know, experiences does bring a quality, I think, of reflection or, you know, quietness to it. I was at, um, was visiting Kripalu, which is a big uh, yoga center in uh, Western Massachusetts, and they led a, um, it was a kayaking uh, trip um, out on a lake that's close by. And this is very rural Massachusetts. So there wasn't a lot of noise to start with, but we got about, you know, halfway uh, through the trip. And the, you know, their, their thing is to try and bring mindfulness, you know, into these experiences. And so we each, um, you know, got, they had us bring the kayaks close together and we were kind of holding on, you know, to the sides of each other's kayaks or probably, I don't know, six or eight kayaks that were out there in a little, in a little cluster. And it wasn't completely silent because the, um, the, the, the boats were um, plastic and they would bang against each other and make kind of a, you know, little, you know, bumpy noise. But other than that, it was the sound of the wind. And they just, you know, the guy just said, let's just, you know, be mindful. Let's yeah. just be yeah. here for a moment. Yeah. And just so taking that moment, you know, even when there is a little background noise, I think it, it had that, that sense, that quality, you know, of being able to access that inner oneness, that inner peace that was just really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. So turning to what we were saying, um, you were just mentioning, the silence that we can experience with the visual arts. So let's talk about, let's talk about that first, but also music. So would you describe that? Yes. Um, I quite often go into an art gallery or museum and draw the paintings. And it's, that's a wonderful way of being silent. And it, I find it such a fantastic connection to the artist. I mean, if you think about it, if you're about two or three feet away from a painting by Van Gogh, I mean, you're as close as he ever was to it. And that's a very special feeling, that link. I find that very special. And of course, by looking in silence at this painting for, well, maybe a whole, you know, a day, I, I know somebody who actually will only look at one painting for months on end. He always goes back to the same painting uh, um, and so, yeah, so I think that paintings, and of course it depends on the painting. Yeah. If you were looking at a painting by Peter Bruegel with all those clashing symbols and noise, you, you wouldn't, I mean, of course it's not noisy, but it you feel that it's noisy. Yeah. Uh, I think still lives are a very um, special entrance, entry in, into silence. Mm -hmm. um, painters like Mirandi, for example, very seemingly very simple, a mm. few pots, but actually profoundly deep and profoundly silent, I think. Mm. And then you talked about music, which is kind of almost counter yes, counterintuitive. Paradox, paradoxical, isn't it? Yes. Um, you know, I, I enjoy listening to music, but I can't say that I'm that musical. But I did talk to quite a few people before I did the book. And it seems that it's the pauses that in the music that are, um, there's a, I'd like to just read a quote, sure. if I wrote it down, which um, it was the, um, the Austrian pianist, Arthur Schnabel. He said, the notes I handle no better than many pianists, but the pauses between the notes are that's where the art resides. So it's um, it's 
you know, something I, again, I hadn't particularly thought about. There are other aspects of silence in music. Before a concert begins, there's rather a wonderful pause or silence. And then if if there's been something particularly special about a concert, at the end of it, there is a pause before the audience start clapping. And it's that that is a very special pause as well. People, uh, the composer Mahler, uh, this is different, um, but he couldn't write music if there was any noise. And he lived somewhere, I don't know where, where there were uh, cows with bells Mm -hmm. and he had to get them muffled so that he wouldn't hear them. (laughs) 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 You're right, it it is sort of paradoxical because you think about it, but then then once you start thinking about it, you think, yes, it is those pauses which are so significant and special. Mm-hmm. Yes, as you say, there is a chapter on, on music. Mm. Um, so in the yoga tradition, meditation is a key component of spiritual growth and of living our lives in the highest way. As a medical physician, I'm always interested in the scientific studies on meditation and the many physical and mental health benefits that have been demonstrated by those studies. So I was really pleased that you devote a chapter in your book to meditation. And you point out that some form of meditation has always been part of all faiths, not only the Eastern traditions of Hinduism and Buddhism, but also it's been part of the Christian tradition. And you speak about, or you write about spiritual benefits of meditation, um, which of course are very much in line with yoga philosophy. So what are some of the benefits that you have experienced with meditation or that you you think um, meditation brings to this question of silence? Well, I think um, I'm in no particular order. I think that actually, funny enough, that the discipline of meditation is, is, is beneficial. I think that one has to realize that you're not doing it for results, actually. <laughs> Which is, which is, again, very difficult because we're so goal-oriented in, in the world we live in today. So I, I think that's very difficult for some people. Um, I mean, I'm, I do meditate daily, um, but I, I can't say that I find it easy. Um, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. <laughs> Good distinction. Yeah, yeah it, it's true. Um, but I, I do it. I go on doing it. And what I, one of the things I love about it are the links that I feel that there are with the past. I mean, I think that when you think of all the people who have meditated, it's rather like we were talking earlier on about the buildings, um, churches and temples that have had um, quiet contemplation in them. Mm -hmm. I think another um, um, group of buildings that can have this special feeling are ruins, actually, certain Mm -hmm. ruins, sort of monastic ruins. You can feel a wonderful sense of quiet in them. I think, I mean, we have many more of those in England than you do in the States, admittedly, still. And I think that um, one of the people I write about is Richard Bird, who was, um, uh, he was Admiral Sir Richard Bird, I think, who went to the Antarctic in the 1930s. And he was part of a mission that they were meant to send um, three men to this very this base camp somewhere or other and one of the men got ill so he is the leader 
didn't want to send just two people because I think he thought it was it was for a period of I don't know three or four months I think and he thought that two people might not get on with each other so he volunteered to go on his own um he some of his descriptions about the harmony he felt in this total isolation this harmony with the universe are so special and what was so unusual was for him as a man in the 1930s to write about this. And in fact, apparently he was reluctant, but some of his friends persuaded him to. He actually got quite ill from carbon monoxide poisoning. And mm. his, um, but the people back at the camp realized that something wasn't right. So they went to rescue him. Um, so all these things about quiet meditation, being silent is, well, there is a harmony that you can tap into. Mm-hmm. But I don't think you should expect it. it it's such a, <laughs> that's that's the difficulty in a sense. As I said earlier on, you shouldn't really be looking for results. Well, it's terribly tempting sometimes to feel that you're going to find this uh, special place. Mm-hmm. No, that's so true. And, and um, that uh, non-attachment to outcomes is such yes. an important part. It's, it's written about in uh, Yoga Sutra's uh, as one of the most important things, uh, there are two things that are mentioned in uh, Sutra 112, which are the steadiness of practice, because there definitely is a cumulative effect, which actually scientifically has been proven. I mean, people's brains literally do change yeah. through, yeah. you know, that have a regular meditation practice, their brains do change. So anyway, steady practice, but also non-attachment to outcomes. Because, and this is so funny because I, you know, I think everyone experiences this. So if you have a particularly deep meditation, you have a particularly amazing experience, and then you sit the next day and you just want it to happen again. Again, There's one thing that will prevent it from happening again. It is wanting it so badly to happen again. I've even done that where it's like whatever last thought kind of drifted through my mind before I landed in this beautiful place of silence, I'll try and think that again, you know, to try and trigger it. And it just, obviously it just, it just really, you know, it really doesn't, it doesn't work. So it's interesting. um, And something that is, you know, it's, is, you know, very common, obviously you and I have both, you know, you've, I've both experienced that. Yeah. Um, We've talked a little bit about experience of silence through nature and your um, profound experience with silence in the Antarctic. You also talk about experience you had with silence and snow in the middle of New York City. So what, I mean, I think perhaps people can point to experiences that they've had, you know, in their own lives. So what, what, how, how do those experiences affect you and is paying attention to them and just desiring to have more, um, is that um, is that a way you know to go? I mean, to set up ourselves, you know, to to appreciate silence and to try and bring more of it into our lives. Yeah, I think I think one needs to be open to whatever experiences that you might have. But as I say. I, I think I write. I mean, I'm never going to experience that silence, or it's very unlikely, in the Antarctic again. Um, and I'm not. But, and so it's it's hard to know which 
what might happen, what experiences I might have, which I haven't yet had. But as I said, provided I'm open to what might happen, um, I hope that I will have similar experiences. I mean, the experience of snow in New York City, which was the first time I ever went to New York, I, I was just amazed. It wasn't I mean, I, I wasn't sort of thinking about silence, but I just do remember that extraordinary, the whole city shut down. I don't know whether it still does, if it's, if they have a heavy snowstorm, I don't know. But it was extraordinary. So it was that was something which more was more in retrospect, I think. Mm. I thought back about it. Um, so I don't think, in a way, it's, it's rather like these, I think they're called peak experiences, which I don't think you should ever... Um, seek out mm. but I think you should need to be open um, for when they might happen it's why I was always suspicious of um, these people who had I don't know what I can't remember what they were called now est and insight those movements which gave you a fantastic high over the weekend and then nothing so I mean, I think I think it, it's much better to just sort of, as I say, be open to what is going on. Yeah. And I mean, your book is encouraging us to cultivate silence for someone who's just becoming aware of the need for silence in their lives. How would you suggest that they begin to cultivate this um, appreciation, or you know, try and bring more silence into their lives? Well, one of the things when I was writing the book in, uh, in my Pilates class, I was telling my Pilates teacher about it. And she said, I can't walk down the street without my earphones in. And I said, I didn't, I actually, I don't think I said to her, try it. I think the next time I saw her, she said, I tried it. It was amazing. <laughs> so, I mean, I think that, that's such a simple thing to do. Just take out your ear things. Mm -hmm. um, so that is something that everyone could do. Um, another thing which I find really quite interesting and something I hadn't particularly thought about before is that it's only really in the last hundred years. I know we were talking earlier on about the noise in London, um, but if you were on your own somewhere, anywhere, you wouldn't have had access to sound apart from other people. There's no radio, no television, no movies. And it's only within the last hundred years that at the flick of a switch, we've got all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's that's quite interesting, I think, that it's it's such a new phenomenon, this mm -hmm. constant, constant noise. Um so what and so what would I suggest to people? Well, I think that literally take it step by small, small things. Don't immediately throw out your um anything. <laughs> just yeah. I mean, just go and sit somewhere on your own, in silence, and look around you. If And as I do point out, even if you live in a city, there are always places. And as we've talked about, there are churches or temples or um, I don't know if one's allowed into mosques, actually. I don't know, but mm. maybe. Um, anyway, and when you're at, in this place, just be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's one story I'd like to share, if I can. It's in the book, actually, but I think it's sure. it's... Very interesting. Um, um, what was he called? Anthony Gray, who was a British uh, journalist who was put under house arrest in China in the 1950s, I think. And on his way to China, he had stopped in Hong Kong 
And he'd bought a book about yoga, about which he knew nothing. He just saw it appeal to him. He bought it. Uh, when he, the Chinese, soon after he arrived, went into his house and said, you're under house arrest now. Um, and you're allowed three books. You're allowed to take three books into the room that you're going to be confined in. And by his bed was this book on yoga, which he hadn't looked at. So that was one of the three books that he took in. And it, it basically saved. I mean, it was very, very powerful for him to have this book. But I think it's so extraordinary that it was just, if you like chance yeah. or not, that, it, <laughs> that was the book that was there for him. Right. Right. Yeah. No, oh, amazing. And obviously, as we've talked about, you know, the um, the um, practice of meditation, you know, so setting aside some time uh, yeah. to let our to let our thoughts settle and to touch something that is beyond that, I think, is certainly for me been a very, very beneficial you know, type of practice. You said that you, you also, you know, meditate. Um, the creativity that you, you know, mentioned, the um, the the uh, art, certainly for those, you know, who have uh, access to that. You also um, uh, talked about lots of activities that maybe people haven't thought about. So you talk about swimming and how there's a silence in swimming, in fishing. I actually think maybe that's one of the things about fishing because they don't... Mm. Fishermen don't, even if they're fishing right side by side in general, they don't talk to each other they because talk, they don't, no. want, they don't no. want to scare exactly. the fish. They're not looking at each other and they're not talking. You're right. They're just yeah. looking at the river or wherever. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember some of the other, you know, activities that you, you know, that you um, pointed to that can have a component of silence, I guess, um, you know, perhaps for people to become a little bit more aware of how tiring it can be. Um, one of the interesting things that I've gone through is um, I've gone to a silent retreat, varying lengths, you know, from a few days, two or three days to, um, I think my longest has been a 10 day or 14 day silent retreat. And what's really always so interesting to me is when I come out of that silence. So during the silent retreat, not only are you not um, talking, but you're also, as you right in the book, you're, you're not um, supposed to be making eye contact and kind of engaging, you know, doing like nonverbal visual signals and that sort of thing. So when I come out of silence, it's always amazing to me how much energy it does take to communicate with people, to, to talk, you know, with people. <laughs> you, you realize it's actually kind of tiring. So setting aside a little time for silence, yeah. cultivating yeah. silence yeah. in your own uh, life can be a really beneficial thing. Did you have anything else to add to that? Um, no, I think that's absolutely right. I think uh, that's what I said. That it's very, very beneficial, and you become a much better listener, uh, as we refer, we, we talked about earlier on. Um, so start small, I think, and you realize that you really want to increase the times that you spend in silence and. Um, it would be very interesting to um, find out from other people who are listening to this how they approach silence and how they find. Because um, as you said, you know, this is not a uh, unique experience. I think everyone must have, you know, some sort of an experience like this. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, we've come to the end of our time together. I've really enjoyed our conversation. In closing, what words of encouragement or inspiration would you like to share with our listeners? Well, as I was saying, I think by starting small and just stepping outside your normal, if you like, if you can put it like that, normal life, just stepping aside and spending even five minutes of time in silence on on your own can be extremely beneficial, I think. And as I, if you start small, who knows where it might lead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Encouragement, encouragement to start small. That's great. And build from there. For listeners, my guest today has been Sarah Anderson, the author of the book we've been discussing, The Lost Art of Silence, Reconnecting to the Power and Beauty of Quiet. Sarah is a writer, painter, and the founder of the Travel Bookshop in London, which was featured in the film Notting Hill. Sarah lives in London and enjoys finding pockets of quiet amid the noise of the bustling city. And again, you can find out more about her bookshop, her writing, and see her art at her website, umbrellabooks.com. Thank you so much, Sarah Anderson, for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. Thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. And um, I hope other people get to experience some silence from it. Thank you. Yes. So we're going to do something a little different this morning with the end of this program. We've just had a lovely, I've just had a lovely conversation with Sarah Anderson about her book about silence. And I wanted to ask one of our assistant producers to join us, uh, Anne Hayes. And I wanted to have a chance to talk with her about some further teachings from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment about silence. Anne is an associate minister at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a senior Kriya Yoga teacher, and she leads a weekly online meditation group with the CSE affiliate, the Santa Rosa Kriya Yoga Meditation Group. Anne has assisted me with the interview today with preparation for the interview with Sarah Anderson. So thanks for joining me up front, Anne. Yes, it's fun to be (laughs) up front today. (laughs) Thank you. So you and I have both been regular meditators and students of Yogacharya O'Brien for many years. And I know we, this topic of silence is important to both of us. And we have benefited from our practice of silence, which is why we were both very interested in having Sarah on the show. Yogacharya O'Brien has offered many silent retreats over the years that you and I have participated in. And she has encouraged people to set aside a time for silence, even up to having a day of silence regularly, perhaps even once a week. And So she writes, silence emanates as the existence of God or absolute reality within us. Silence emanates as the existence of God or absolute reality within us. Once our attention and awareness move beyond the spoken word and then beyond the subtle inner noise of sensation, thought, and feeling, it comes to rest in the center of our being, our essential self. It is there that we discover true silence. So Anne, she has offered some steps that can support us in taking some part of a day, setting aside, you know, some uh, even half an hour or an hour um, or perhaps even a whole day 
And these steps can be really supportive. So why don't you go over the first thing that she says, which is important to plan the silent time. What are some of the steps that she suggests to arrange conditions? Yeah, well, um, I just want to say this interview with Sarah was really wonderful and useful. And um, that gave us the idea to have this discussion about, you know, just making some space for a time of silence. And um, one of the things that Yogacharya says um, is to plan it, to plan our time of silence, to find that quiet place, you know, think about where we're going to go or how we're going to do it, um, even put the date on our calendar. Um, and just take some time away from the computers and devices and know that we can come back to it. Um, and it can be as simple as just planning a time to take a walk in nature by yourself without your earbuds, as, as uh, uh, Sarah was saying. And I think we should also mention that it's it's important to let others know, perhaps mm -hmm. people who live with you. Yeah. <laughs> That they can so they can support you in this right time. yeah you know you may have children or your husband or roommates or um so just some time to to uh, let them know so that they can support you in this time of silence that you're not just ignoring them <laughs> but you're taking some time for yourself which benefits them in the long run yeah so the next step that Yogacharya recommends is to make a commitment to your plan to, again, communicate with people that you'd normally engage with, that you are going to be unavailable for this short period of time. Uh, make a commitment not to check your email, your text, the television. And this also includes reading materials, because even though you can read in silence, it's still engaging your thoughts in the more superficial level um, you know, of, um, of that, uh, of, of words. So it is important to, um, to not read also mm -hmm. during this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, it's useful and helpful. Well, and I think, yeah, I think, uh, as you were saying, um, you know, you think, well, I, I could read, you know, scripture or I could read and, you know, sometimes that to start our time out is to do a little reading might help. But then to put it down and to just allow our thoughts to settle um, in whatever way we can do that and to make that commitment to ourselves. It's, you know, it's like making an appointment with the doctor or whatever you go and you're there and you, you know, you're focused on that thing that you've made the appointment for. So make an appointment with yourself. Mm, lovely. And then what's the role of um, meditation during this time, either sitting meditation or walking meditation? What what has your experience been in? Well, you know, I try to uh, meditate every day, you know, um, and uh, I set aside the time to do that. And uh, uh, it's a it bec it's become part of my life. So um, but I also take time. I try to take time. You know, I have this goal of once a week, but that doesn't always happen, of taking at least, you know, four or five hours and I go somewhere because I, I can't seem to to do it here. So I at home. So I because there's too many things that are distracting, but I'll I'll go, uh, you know, I'm fortunate enough to live close to the beach so I can drive over there. Like, you know, it takes me about 30 minutes. I, I'll take my 
lunch and a, you know a thermos of tea or something and um, so I don't have to interact with anybody and just go sit maybe go for a walk um, while I'm there and just sit and uh, don't read I don't take any books to read <laughs> either just sit so of course the ocean of course that's like the easiest thing but mm-hmm. um, you know even just going to a park as Sarah was talking about you know getting away from your usual practice Mm-hmm. really helps. One of the things that um, Yogacharya writes about in the in her booklet is using a mantra like Om peace for sitting or walking. So, you know, on the inhale, say you can chant internally Om and on the exhale, you can chant peace mm-hmm. um, to keep the mind from focusing on that inner that inner noise, that inner conversation. And I have found that I I think it's actually really interesting. Even the, the Sanskrit word mantra means to go beyond the mind. So it's actually a really useful tool for that. So even walking, you know, you can say Om on one step peace with the next step. Mm -hmm. So really kind of focuses your mind that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when we are spending time in nature to notice just to notice the mindfulness practice of being in nature. So, you know, what is around you? Are there flowers? What's the temperature of the air on your skin? Is there a breeze? Um, Even, even if it's noisy, because when we're out in nature, well, especially if you're just out like in your neighborhood, you can, there can be a lot of background noise, Um, but you can notice as, as um, Sarah was talking about noticing the space in the music, she was talking about the spaces between the notes, but right. if it's if it's noisy, you can notice the space between the noises as well. Right, right, right. You can kind of, you know, even though we can still hear it, we can block it out a little bit right? because we're focusing on, you know, the beauty. And it could be just like you said, a flower in your neighbor's garden. It doesn't have to be any mm-hmm. fancy thing. Would you talk a little bit about this idea of journaling, you know, during that time and, and what Yogacharya recommends? Well, what she recommends is to have some time, maybe at the end of your time of silence, however long that is, not to write a long discursive uh, pages and pages, but just something brief about, you know, how you feel, your experience that day. Um, you know she's a poet so she recommends you know she said you could write a poem or you could do a little drawing and it's not for anybody else so it could be whatever it is you're not trying to create a product as she said Um, but just write something that you know has come up for you Um, I've written a little bit of poetry and I am certainly not a poet but I'll write you know a few lines of you know the flower you know blooming you know, the red, you know, and the center of it, whatever, you know, whatever I say, but just really simple and just a few lines that, you know, it's meaningful and um, helps me kind of coalesce uh, this time of silence um, and how it feels. And, you know, it's something you can do or not do, but um, you don't have to do it, of course, but yeah. If you feel like it, you could, but, you know, keep it towards the end. So you're not spending time talking during your time of silence, you know, talking, quote unquote, while you're writing. No, all of these are, we're talking about how to access, as we said in the description, that place beyond the inner chatter. And the more, 
that these activities contribute to our inner chatter, it makes it difficult to get beyond. So that's why we say it's fine to maybe read a little bit at the beginning, like you said, some scripture, and then at the end to do some journaling, but to try and give yourself that time, you know, of silence, because I think both you and I have really experienced the benefits of consciously taking time to be silent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I appreciated so much about Sarah's, um, the conversation you had with Sarah today is that, you know, she's kind of lifting up the idea of silence for people that may have not thought about the benefits of it, you know, and people that aren't meditators. She's giving other options of ways to experience silence, even in a busy place. Yeah. Well, thanks, Anne, for joining me up front. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for this conversation today with Sarah. And it was nice to have this little bit of time with you to talk about it. For our listeners, you've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, producer and host of the Yoga Hour. And we hope that you can explore some of the many online programs offered by the sponsor of this program, the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, including daily meditation. There's daily online meditation in the morning at 6.30 a.m. Pacific time in the afternoon at 4 and on Monday evenings at 7.30. Again, all those times are Pacific time. There's also a Sunday satsang, a gathering of truth seekers that happens at 10 a.m. Pacific each week. Another podcast that may be of interest to listeners of this program is the Kriya Yoga Today podcast with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, which includes presentations from classes and talks that she has given. You can find that through the CSE website, csecenter.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Again, Kriya Yoga Today. You can find out more about the many classes and Uh, events at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment at that website, csecenter.org. You can join us next time on the Yoga Hour when in honor of the new year, I will be offering a different program, a program dedicated to meditation, to the benefits of meditation and the nuts and bolts of how we can establish or reestablish a daily practice. I thought in honor of the new year and hopefully just in time for people to use it, for it to be useful. Um, There will be techniques that I'll share which will support you in beginning or enhancing your practice. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. CSE welcomes people from all backgrounds who are seeking self and God realization, Kriya Yoga's path to awakened living. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the podcast, share it with a friend. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and spiritual director, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers, Anne Hayes, Mickey Coronado, Christine Sote, and Lauren Leidinger. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.